continuing in our God's Not Red series. Uh, one more week of this. Next week is the last week of this series. For a recap, this series is one where we're walking through verses of Scripture that are often not taught in Sunday school, portions that are not the easiest to comprehend or work through. And we get to have a fun one today because I'm going to talk about uh, Hebrews 6.4. If any of you know what that is, you know it's coming. If you don't, we're going to have some fun. All right? Before we get into this, a little bit of background as to why we're teaching on this one today. It kind of comes down to last Sunday. So last Sunday, uh, I was in a little bit of a down state of mind, a little bit of a down mood. Some of y'all may have noticed, I kind of just checked out and went downstairs and let Jake run the service. But every now and then, I get a little uh, depressed, largely because I have depression. Duh, good reason for it to happen sometimes. Right? Yeah, it's like, oh, why are you sad? I don't know, my brain. That's why. Huh? And sometimes... <laughs> I forget to take my med properly, all right? <laughs> Boom. All right. My wife is a pharmacist, if you don't know, so she gets kind of stickly of me for, not, for skipping a dose on accident and throwing off my entire day. Anywho, so whenever I get depressed, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I don't like to do things that make me happy. I like to do things that sadden me up a little bit more for some reason. Who here likes to listen to, like, blues music or if you're my generation emo? Anyone? Emo? Yeah? You get sad, you listen to some emo or some blues. You get sad, you read sad stories. You don't see read happy ones. You just want to sort of wallow in it a little bit, right? So if you're a theology student, wallowing in it looks like going to the portions of Scripture that annoy the crap out of you, that you can never get past, and that are hard, and just looking at them and saying, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. So that's the verse that I was in this week, guys. I don't know what's going on. Oh, real quick, don't, don't lose hope. Hope is important. Hope is big. We're going to talk about some stuff that seems kind of hopeless for a minute. But don't worry, hope's coming. All right. <sighs> Hebrews 6 starts like this. The writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it was, but whoever wrote Hebrews was walking through some things about how the church was doing in the areas he was writing to. And he was actually, or she, he probably, but she possibly, they we're writing about the state of the church and the state of the people within it. And they have slowly been talking more and more about people who are sort of giving up hope and having trouble persevering through and getting difficult and having more and more time resting, right? And as he's talking about this, they get into this part where he starts to say, we need to stop wallowing in ourselves over and over again. And he starts with this. He says, therefore, let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward towards maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Oh, I enjoy that phrasing. It is impossible <laughs> for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful for those who, as farm, receives a blessing from God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. 
the word of the Lord, right? Yeah, good news, good word. Let's go home and take it with us, right? Again, don't lose hope, right? This verse is a little rough, but it's got some fun things to it, right? The first thing I want to point out is this. Whenever you talk about things that are elementary to the Christian faith, what do you put in those categories? Jesus, yeah. Him existing. The Bible existing and having something to do with stuff. Basic understanding of salvation, right? That's what we tend to think of as the basics of our faith. I just want to really quickly outline what this writer says the basics are, because it's fun to just laugh at how much we sometimes demature ourselves. His elementary teachings are the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. All right, so repenting of our sinfulness and being faithful to God. And then these ones, instructions about cleansing rites. I'm sure we all have a good foundation in that, right? Laying on of hands or the concept of either sending people out or healing, which is what laying on of hands tends to uh, be about. The resurrection of the dead is an elementary concept. And eternal judgment is an elementary concept. These are things that the writer says that we are, if we are mature in Christ, we should be able to move past and start learning deeper and more important things. How often do you see people get caught up in these things? What does the resurrection mean? What does eternal life mean? What does eternal death mean? What is punishment? What is judgment? We talk about these things and we get confused and we kind of wallow in them at times, right? And he says we're supposed to move forward into maturity. And this next section doesn't talk about maturity. Maturity comes after this. We'll get to it in a second. But this next section steps into a kind of thing that the people who write scripture do often. I want you guys to know this. The people who wrote the Bible, really smart people, generally. They do a really good job of putting logical arguments together. They use wording in really good ways to make their points come across. And they're really good at using rhetorical styles to do it. One thing that happens whenever you're really good at using rhetoric is you like to do this thing where you build up an argument and build it up and build it up and take it to a logical extreme and push it to its furthest point it can possibly go so that you can emphasize the negatives of what's happening, right? And if you can emphasize this negative, then you can actually help with a big contrast between where people's lives actually are. Here's the negative that they build to. The negative they get to is if people go to the logical extreme of walking away from their faith, this is what happens. It's impossible for one who has once been enlightened, who has tasted the heavenly gift, who has shared in the Holy Spirit, who has tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who has fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying Christ all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. What does that mean? They're basically saying if someone was a full and knowing and wise follower of Christ, if they wholly had the Holy Spirit, if they fully understood who God was, if they fully understood the concepts of repentance and their need for him, if they had complete understanding of who he was and they had tasted and seen the gloriousness of who he is and what he's doing in the world, and if they have understanding of what he's bringing about, if that is where someone is and they just completely walk away, it's not a good thing kind of bad. And they say it's bad because if that occurs, they're basically re-crucifying Jesus again. And they're disgracing him. That's pretty rough, right? It's a hard thing to hear. 
I will point out that the way that my theology works, I kind of have to say this, is I think this is a thing that's a logical push to the argument that can't really happen, right? They're making a logical point to say that if this is where someone gets, that's not good. But I would say that this is probably not something that happens all that often. All right? Now, why would he build this up this way? Well, the people he's working through are having trouble with perseverance. They're having trouble moving forward in their faith. They're having trouble understanding what they're supposed to be doing as they're moving on and on in their lives with Christ. They don't quite know where they're going, right? And they're starting to lose hope. Don't lose hope. You don't have to. This is where they end up going after this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, so the writer of Hebrews who walked people through to this told them to stop being immature, said that if you get to this point, you're in trouble, right? And I would say that just really quickly, it doesn't matter what kind of theology you have. It doesn't matter what backgrounds you have or which church tradition you come from. If someone spent a good period of their life looking like a Christian then totally rejects that, not a great place to be, right? Basically, we phrase differently what happened, but we know not a great thing, right? The writer says this, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things for you, things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget the work and your love that you have shown him, and you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what has been promised. <sighs> That's a beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture. So we get to this, ah, things are bad. And then we get to hear the actual kind of cathartic release that's being built up. This concept that even though things are bad, this isn't what the writer sees for his readers. This isn't where you're at. Yes, you may be struggling. Yes, you may be moving through a rough part. Yes, you may be having trouble holding on to hope. Yes, you may be having trouble being patient and persevering. But there is still hope for you and who you are. They are convinced of better things, things that have to do with salvation. And then I love this part as well, because this is actually the thing that was really helpful to me this week, whenever I read this. I was feeling down. I was looking to sort of just sort of wallow in Scripture as opposed to reading and growing and learning. But instead, Jesus sort of like said, no, you have to actually understand this point. You have to get this. You see, normally whenever I wallow in a passage like this, I just stop at the bad part. I'm like, yeah, it's bad. It's pretty bad. I don't like it. I mean, and then I either stop for the day there and start up the next day at the next point and kind of forget the way that these things come together, or I just get mad and I just skip the book for the rest of the time. I like, get yeah, next book, skipping onwards. We're going to James. It's easier. Not really. If you read the book of James. All right. We're just skipping ahead. Well, don't laugh at that. It's true. All right. Just skip ahead. This time I didn't, and I walked through, and I actually got what this is saying. This was my most helpful thing. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You see, sometimes whenever I get into a depressive funk, one of the things I do is sort of catastrophize everything in the world. Does anyone here have a, have a habit of catastrophizing? Like taking the things and just carrying them off to their logically worst extreme? There's no possible way this could be worse. Yeah. 
hey, things are lightly bad. Just consider this. You ever gotten a text from someone that's kind of ambiguous and you can't tell if it's a good text or a bad text? And instead of walking through the, I should just ask them and figure out what's going on, you go to the, oh, no, they don't like me. They're mad at me. I must have done this thing wrong. What can I think of that I did wrong? This, 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 and this. I remember these seven things I've done horribly. Oh, my goodness. Now they must hate me. They never want to be my friend again. They're walking away, right? Have you done that? Anyone? Yeah? If not, awesome, good communication practices. If so, I've been there. Side note, completely unrelated, but we're going to make it a sermon point. We're just going to do it. Don't have arguments over text messaging, right? Don't do it. If you have conflict, talk to them face-to-face. It has nothing to do with this verse, but even if you got nothing else, you learned something, right? Don't do it. Next. Here's what I needed to hear. God is faithful, and even if I take things to the logically worst extreme, and I say everything is broken, nothing is good, everything is falling apart, I can have faith in the fact that God loves me and cares for me and appreciates that I try. That he sees what I've done and he is not unaware of the fact that I want to glorify him. That he knows me and even though I'm not perfect and I never will be until he returns or I go to him, he appreciates me. I don't deserve his appreciation. You don't deserve it, not heavily, but he gives it anyway. He cares. He notices. You see, sometimes I have this habit of working for myself or working for other people and getting mad whenever the world doesn't honor these things, right? Oh, man, I tried really hard and everything's blowing up. But I forget the fact that what I'm actually working for is Jesus, And if I'm doing that, if I'm truly working for him, it doesn't matter what the world looks like. What matters is that he is glorified. So, as you are moving forward in your lives and working, if you become discouraged, remember the one you are working for. You're not working for the world, you're working for him. If the world doesn't get glorified by it, that's okay. The world's not the one we're giving glory to anyway. If you're not getting glorified by it, that's okay. We're not working for our own glory either. If he's glorified by it, you're doing good. We want to show each of you this same diligence to the very end. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Now, it's worth noting, to the very end here doesn't mean the completion of the task you're trying to reach for. To the very end means until your very end. Yours. So either until Jesus comes back or until you go to see him. He's calling for perseverance, for you to continue to steadfastly move forward in the race Christ has marked out for you. Hebrews 12 pushes this forward, right? The next section of scripture in Hebrews is going to be this big old listing, this rundown of all these people who are heroes of the faith and the way in which they were faithful throughout massive amounts of persecution and hardship and weirdness and things they can't understand, and they're going to persevere beyond what you can imagine, right? And the ending of that is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which goes, Therefore, since you're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one that we look to, and he is the one we are persevering towards. It doesn't have to do with us. It's all about moving towards him. If you start to lose hope, this is what you can do. Look to Jesus. I'll be honest, guys. I've been planning churches for 13 years, right? I've been helping churches start and grow for, I would love to say half of my life, but that's not accurate. I'm a little older than that. About a third of my life at this point. I'm getting a little old. And as I've been doing so, it's been interesting to see just how much churches ebb and flow and groups of people ebb and flow, right? I don't know if you guys can imagine this, but back when we were at the old city building, you may have never been there before, you may have never seen it. Whenever we were at our old space, we were hitting 75 people. We moved here because we couldn't fit more people over there. And then the vagarities of life, broken pipes, issues with buildings, things that cause stuff to happen, got in the way. And I honestly lost sight of what I was doing. And to an extent, the church does too at times, right? We sort of lost sight of what we were pushing for. And we, that, that ebbing and flowing, we're at an ebb period right now. But I'm excited to see the flow happen again. <sighs> During that time, I have an issue where I start to look at not what I think is good, all right, actually, let me rephrase that. I think of exactly what I think is good. I focus on what I think is important. I focus on what I think we need to do. I shift away from the having faith and patience portion of my life into the, I'm going to fix these seven things these ways. Everything is fixed. Don't have to talk about it. Don't have anything to ask Jesus about it. Why do you have to talk to that guy, right? We can take care of this. We don't need his help. Let's just go do things, right? Sometimes I have issue because I look away from Jesus. And then he gently reminds me, hey, I'm where you're supposed to be looking. As I was going through this, I noticed that we were in an ebb period last week, and it's one that I had been pushing hard to get past in my own power, trying really hard to do everything I could to get past it. I had spent like two weeks doing whatever outreach things you could think of, talking to people, inviting them, doing things of this nature, that nature, that nature. And then like, nothing. And mix that with the missing antidepressants and the breakdown of stress that occurs after doing two weddings in a weekend and then having an outreach event at the same time. I just sort of crumbled, right? I dropped. And I didn't know what to do. And so I was reading this verse and I moved through it and I was walking through it. And then I stepped through and I jumped on Facebook because I'm dumb sometimes, you know. We go right from studying and learning and growing, to stepping into something that's so good for us, social media, right? And one of my people that I follow named Darren Patrick was posting about an event they were at. Darren Patrick is a guy who plants churches and replants churches, right? Uh, he shifted from just starting churches to taking churches that were declined and building them back up again, which is even harder than starting from new, right? It's not growing something. It's taking something that's dying and putting it back together. I don't even know how he does that. No idea. But what he did was he posted this quote from a gentleman who was working uh, with him, and it said this, 
whenever you finally reach the point when you're weeping and don't know where you can go and don't know what's going on. He said this about church players in general. When you reach the point where you're weeping and you don't know which direction to go, that's whenever you feel Jesus' hand on your shoulder and realize that he's the one that gives you the strength to step back and put your hands on the plow again. And that floored me. Because I'm like, oh, this is literally where I'm at in life. That's literally what I needed to hear. And not only did I need to hear it about myself, I need to realize that other people go through the same thing. That was an important enough thing to understand about planting and starting churches that they felt the need to push it out to their audience of thousands of people. Because everyone goes through it at some point. And that by itself was super helpful in allowing me to step past it, right? So it's fun that Jesus just drops little tidbits in random places. Should I have been looking at Facebook at that time? Probably not. I probably should have been spending time with him, right? There's better things to do than spend an hour on Facebook. Yeah, an hour. I wish that's what I was at a day, right? And yet he still used that to build me up in him because he's good and he's gracious and he's loving and he cares about you and he cares about me. And he doesn't want you to lose hope. He doesn't want me to either. And this is what gets me. We do not want you to become lazy. Good, good. We shouldn't be lazy. The author of Hebrews doesn't want us to be lazy, which is good because sometimes I have an issue where I'll become lazy. If I try really hard and then nothing happens, sometimes what ends up is I don't just try harder and keep going. I give up. And I wallow in video games. And I wallow in Facebook. And I wallow in 47 episodes of The Office in a row. Like, it's a good show. Huh? Yeah, you got your things you just have to do as a human to be close to Jesus. And The Office is not one of them, though it should be. No? All right. I have these things that I do when I want to wallow. Because losing hope sometimes makes you want to be lazy. Who here has hit the point where you've just lost hope in something? School. You've lost hope in... Thank you. Hello. Hello, people. Jake's all back here like, woo! Like, you haven't been in school for years. Like, no, I still remember. All right. And you've just lost hope in the ability to do well, and so you just give up. Have you ever done that? Don't. Give up. Don't do it. Don't give up. No, sorry. Huh? I missed it. Anywho. Don't give up. Now, it's worth noting, whenever I say don't give up, my brain often goes to don't give up, try harder. Right? That's not what they're saying by any means. They talked about work before. Jesus sees the work you've done, and he will remember it. But what they point to as the thing you should continue striving to do is not working harder. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Not through hard work and pushing until you die. Through what? Faith and patience. We inherit what Christ is doing by having faith and remaining patient that he will do what he is going to do. That relieves a lot of my stress in Christian-y things, right? 
And it also takes away some of that burden, right? Because sometimes if you feel like you're failing, you just feel like, if I could just try harder, I'll do better. If I could just try a little harder at school, I'd do better, right? If I could just learn a little more, spend more time on this, spend more time doing that, I could do a little better, right? Have you guys ever gotten into the cycle where you're trying to do that, and then it breaks you down a little bit more, and you just can't get past it at all? Like, oh, if I try harder, try harder, break, fail, try harder, can't try harder, I literally can't push any harder, right? You don't have to cycle. Be patient. Be willing to continue working through in the manner you've been attempting. Be willing to have faith in God and just keep moving forward. Once again, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. When they're talking about that in Hebrews 12, the actual race they're talking about isn't a sprint. They're not talking about being able to actually run a 300-meter dash as fast as you can. They're not talking about a 40-yard dash as fast as you can. It's not work, 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 die, right? This is an endurance event. The race they're talking about, the only one they really have to actually compare things to was the Olympic marathon, running over 26 miles and just pushing through it. And if you've ever tried to run distance, anyone here a distance runner? Distance runner? Come here. Yeah. You ride your bike like 47 miles a week. You got some endurance in you. Right? <laughs> yeah. There is a distinct difference between endurance events and sprints. Endurance events, the sprints are about your body and your conditioning only. That's it. You have to work, 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 and get to the best of your possible abilities physically, and you can work at that level, and you don't have to really deal too much about it, right? You just push, 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 then you can crash, be stressed, and be done, right? As you know that one, I used to wrestle in high school. That is a pure sprint event. The way they likened it was being able to sprint for six minutes in a row and then stopping. That's how much effort they wanted you to put into it. And I couldn't do that, first of all. I wasn't a good wrestler for many a reason. One of them was because sprinting, eh. I don't like it. So that's what I trained for, right? The other thing I did, though, was soccer. And I played midfield in soccer, which is just literally running back and forth across the field all day, right? Especially if your team's not good because you're going to the front and you're going to the back. Then you're going to the front and you're going to the back, right? And our team uh, wasn't that good. I played for a team that had, like, 120 people in their high school football team and, like, eight people in their soccer team which is not enough to field a full team. We were always like two people short. It was a lot of running. It was great, right? See, sprint events are all about conditioning in your body and your ability to move, right? Endurance events, they're more about your brain. Your body has the capacity to move for a decent amount of miles if you can get past your brain on it. We get in our own way. We get to the point where we're trying to gut through it, and then we just say, no, I can't, and stop. But people who run distances actually talk about this concept where if you gut through that first period of it, if you move through the rough part of it, and if you move onwards in your, in your race, once you get past that initial, I can't do it, endorphins kick in. And you get the second wind, and you go from being, I can't do it, to this is possible. And you push, and you go and you move. 
you're battling just as much with yourself as you are with anything else outside of you. That's the sort of race we have as followers of Christ. One of the biggest enemies we're going to be dealing with is not Satan. He's a pretty big one. One of the biggest enemies we're dealing with will not be the world. It can be a pretty big one. That's the portion of the things around us that do not try to glorify Jesus, right? Our biggest enemy is usually our flesh. It's ourselves. It's our want to give up. It's our want to stop. It's our want to say, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. So I give up. Don't lose hope. Persevere. Have faith in Christ and what he's done. Have faith in the changes he has made in you. Have faith in his resurrection and the fact that he has purchased you back from dead and has offered you new life through his life. Have faith in the fact that he is the one who is doing all things and that he is the one who is enabling you and empowering you and strengthening you to continue persevering onwards in your life. And be patient and be expectant and recognize this is who he is and what he does. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He will see it through to completion. Trust that he will. Does that make sense? It's weird that a verse that can be completely crazy, that can be so hard to hear, that can be a what do we do with this, can end up being one that pushes me forward to hope. Yeah, it brought us to this point where we're saying, oh my goodness, we have no hope. And then we get to see a glimmer of it. And if you look towards that glimmer, you'll be okay. So what are my takeaways for this sermon? One, don't lose hope. Two, what you're doing is not about working as hard as you possibly can, right? It's instead about being patient and having faith in him. Three, don't have arguments over text. Those are the points. Take them with you. Let's take a minute and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We praise you for the fact that you are doing a good work in us and that you are the one who's going to see it through to completion. And that it's not about how hard and we push that matters the most. It's about what you enable to happen. May we be patient as we're working towards seeing what you are doing in this world. May we be patient as we are seeing the way in which this world needs transformed into your likeness. May we be having faith in you through this entire process. I pray you would be continuously bringing us closer and closer to you in faith. And Lord, give us the ability to persevere to the very end. We praise you for your blood, which covers over our sin. We praise you for your life, which gives us new life. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.